Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter. I'm a transformation coach dedicated to inspiring women and the men who support them to rise up in life, love, and leadership. Bipolar. Now that is a word that gives me great pause. Depression? Eh. Anxiety? Hmm. ADHD? Okay. Bipolar? Whoa. In our culture, for whatever reason, that mental health diagnosis can come along with a lot of labels and stigma and perceived limitations. Well, today I want to introduce you to Lauren Polly. She's the author of The Other Side of Bipolar, Revealing Your Strengths to Move Beyond the Diagnosis. She's also the host of the Lighten Up podcast, as well as a certified speech-language pathologist. Now, after her own diagnosis, she explored alternative forms of treatment and is focused on treating her whole person, body, mind, and soul. She also discovered that she is a gifted empath who is keenly aware of others and her environment and her entire life changed when she reclaimed those gifts beyond her diagnosis. She's now a speaker and executive life coach and received her master's degree from the University of Virginia in communication disorders with a focus on speech and language pathology. You are going to love our conversation. And there is a surprising moment where she reveals something about her diagnosis that really catches me off guard. Now, before we jump into this episode, I want to tell you about something very exciting. Last week, I hosted a free five-day experience called Choosing a New Normal. Now, if you were not aware of that, that means that you're not on our email list. That means you need to get connected to what we're all about here because the podcast is just one of the key elements of how I am seeking to help you embrace your true identity and rise up and become the person that you want to be. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Lauren Polly. Lauren, thanks so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Lauren, uh, you have written a book called The Other Side of Bipolar, Revealing Your Strengths to Move Beyond the Diagnosis. And I want to hear a bit more of your story. We have a lot of moms who listen to our podcast with young you know, kids that are growing up and moving through puberty and, of course, through high school and college. And you know, every kid has their own journey. Of course, my kids have had some some challenges through those seasons of life, but I want to hear a bit more about your story. And when did you start to experience some challenges as a young person? It all kind of started to hit around age 13, right at that crux point of adolescence kicking in. And so much of it, I believe, was kind of secondary to the social changes that occur at that time. It stopped being about just being fun and open and playing and being yourself at that age and started to be about, do you fit? And if so, how? And if not, why? Mm. And it was just kind of interesting, all the different social scenarios I found myself in with getting bullied or feeling like I didn't measure up. Up, um, all the whispers that happen in middle school, which happens to everybody, unfortunately. It so just kind of, it's very challenging. And it almost kind of woke up this inner enemy in my head where before I knew it, the voices weren't coming from other kids from the outside in. It was something that I internalized and my head became very judgmental and very self-conscious about myself, mm-hmm. uh, which led me down a dark, dark path. When you say inner enemy, what were some of the things that you were hearing about yourself that perhaps other kids are hearing as well. 
that people didn't like me, that I didn't fit in. Um, I was very, I was very pretty and I always garnered a lot of attention for it, but somehow that kind of worked against me when, when I got into middle school because I drew a lot of attention. And if I didn't behave the way other kids do, you know, they like to kind of, um, put you as the odd man out. So I was going through that in a big, big way. Um, also, I'm very, very sensitive and very aware of my environment. So a lot of the whispers in that situation mm-hmm. may not have been directed directly at me, but because I was aware of the environment to such a degree, I felt like everything was about me. So my paranoia with that grew. Um, I got very anxious. I got very depressed, uh, very, like I said, hypercritical. Uh, and it just kind of escalated from there. Mm-hmm. At what point did you said escalated? Did that move toward uh, a depression or a suicide attempt? Or how, how did that end up playing out for you? It started first with anxiety and getting very, very anxious, very nervous. Uh, I had a lot of social anxiety where before, like I said, I was very friendly and it was just easy to engage with people. All of a sudden, I was second guessing everything I said. Uh, I just wanted to disappear, quite frankly. I felt like everybody was looking at me and talking about me, Mm -hmm. which of course then led into depression and then dark thoughts. I had a lot of mood fluctuations. And unfortunately, because I didn't have language to express it, you know, I didn't have like an external event of trauma to talk about. It was just this confusion and feeling lost. I I hit it all. I just put a smile on my face and I tried to navigate it on my own, which wasn't successful. You know, after months and months of that, I just kind of gave up and I started to contemplate suicide. I wrote a letter and I um I took a bunch of pills and luckily my mom found the note before I had a chance to go back and do it again. Wow. And so she how did she find the note? What was that experience like? Well, my mom calls it a God whisper. Uh, she basically she was kind of noticing some behavior changes in me. And again, like I said, they were subtle because I was hiding a lot of it. Uh, But she finally got a call from one of my teachers. I had forged uh, a signature from her on a bad grade, which is Mm. very unlike me to get bad grades, first of all. (laughs) Also to forge a signature. So she just had this whisper that something bigger was up, went home, searched my room, and there was my letter hidden in my desk in my room. Wow. That is a heartbreaking moment for a parent for sure and scary of course what did what did your mom end up doing did she like talk to you about it or what happened well I came home from school and my dad's car was in the driveway which was unusual that he was home that early and I I walked in and they were both sitting around the kitchen table red-faced and puffy from crying and they both just kind of sat on either side of me and grabbed a hand and just said, you know, I found your letter. And I immediately broke down and started crying. Mm. I I didn't even realize how much I was carrying and trying to hide and how much energy I was using towards that. And just to have that opening of, we know what's going on, allowed me that opening that I needed to be able to get it off my chest and start processing it. Wow. What yeah. a powerful moment. What a, a scary, scary moment. Yeah. Hmm. And what would, did they um, end up seeking outside support to help you? What, what was the next step there? 
Yeah, well, the first step we went to is the social worker who was the wife of the pastor at the church we attended. So she was kind of the soft spot and the uh, the immediate help of that evening just to kind of walk us all through it. And um, and from there, we went to different doctors and I ended up getting diagnosed as bipolar shortly thereafter. Uh, but it was kind of fascinating, like having this big moment of finally, I was able to open the floodgates and express myself. And from that moment on, I never wanted to take my life again. And I immediately mm. started feeling better. Part of what I like to do with my story is open up those doors for other kids and teenagers, you know, college kids to be able to open the door without the drama of a suicide note. Um, I think if we just had more open conversations about this without the mm-hmm. stigma or the freak out, I think it would be a lot easier to navigate the ups and downs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so when you were diagnosed with um, uh, bipolar and it, t- for people who aren't familiar with uh, you know, we've all heard that term. Mm-hmm. How would you how would you describe that in layman's terms? What is it, and um, how does it play out in someone's life? Yeah, well, there's different forms of it, but basically, from a uh, a bigger perspective, it's having both poles. So instead of just having unipolar depression, where you're depressed, flat affect, no energy, lack of interest, sad, you have that, but you also have the opposite pole too the bubbly, the fast rate of speech, the impulsivity, the feeling of grandioseness. Uh, there's this big kind of like roller coaster of emotions. And in between, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of upset. There's just kind of hot, hot bedded emotions up and down and very uncontrollable and also um, kind of illogical. So I think that's kind of the um, the bigger things. Like I said, I started anxious and depressed. And the more that I festered in me, the more my mood fluctuations started to do that, uh, kind of being on a roller coaster, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, when when that was a diagnosis that was uh, given to you, did that feel like relief? Did it feel like a burden? Did it feel like there was stigma? Like, how did, how did you and your family begin to process that? Uh, it was a rough road. I tell you, the very first time the diagnosis came, I felt relief, but it wasn't from the label, it was relief of there was a doctor who knew what was wrong with me and therefore could fix it. (laughs) Mm. Um, And in my 14-year-old mind, that's exactly what would happen. You have a problem, here's the medicine, here's the treatment, now you're good to go. It wasn't until going through the process of therapy and learning more about it where I kind of went, oh, this is like a lifelong thing. And unfortunately, a lot of therapeutic techniques are really based in limitation and scare tactics. And that's what I went through big time in my younger years. Nothing was about holistic approaches or building up my self-esteem. It was always, there's something wrong with you and it's always going to be wrong. And here's what you have to do to handle it. Uh, It wasn't until I was 20, six, seven years later that I met a holistic doctor and he was the one who really changed my entire life and perspective on it. Hmm. And so when you say, before we head into that part of your story, when you say that there was scare tactics, um, Mm -hmm. what is, how did, what was that, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So you have a chemical imbalance. And even when you take medicine, you may not be okay. Uh, you're always going to have ups and downs in life. You can't handle stress. So don't try to shoot too big because as soon as stress hits, you're going to lose it. Um, all of this stuff, you just kind of hear the thing with these labels. And I don't think people understand, especially in our society where we're so quick 
quick to label people and so quick to write them off after they've received that label. They don't understand that with that label, not only comes stigma, a whole host of personality traits comes with it and predictions of future. So you labeling a kiddo who is younger and is bright and hopeful for the future, a lot of that gets taken away as soon as they start to learn more about the diagnosis and as they're started to being treated as a diagnosis and not as a person. And mm-hmm. so for me, that's what the scare tactic was. It was all of a sudden you stopped, I stopped being Lauren. I started being bipolar Lauren and it just became this filter that I started to see myself through. Mm-hmm. Did other people know about the diagnosis? Was it something that you shared or your parents shared or did you keep that private? Well, and one of my chapters in my book is it's not safe to share. And that came after uh, going to a youth group meeting and sharing that I had, you know, been through the suicide attempt and then gotten diagnosed. And I just remember the phone ringing off the hook that evening with the parents of the other kids calling my parents. And part of it was in sympathy and part of it was because their kids were freaked out. And I could just perceive the ripple effect of that where it really wasn't safe to share because it impacted other people in such a negative way. People looked at me differently. There was a fear in their eyes where there didn't used to be. Mm -hmm. So I learned very quickly to start to hide it. Like this is a private thing. This is something I'm going to get judged for. Nobody can know. Mm -hmm. Was faith um, or has faith been a part of your mental health um, ongoing, or is that something that was more part of your, um, you know, childhood? That's for my family. You know, my, my, my family is very, very kind of religious and they leaned on that. For me, I'm much more spiritual, I guess you would call it. Mm-hmm. For me, it's way more about being connected and not being in the ideology of the religion. And that's just Mm -hmm. kind of a personal choice. But for me, the broader scope of religion, faith, spirituality is just knowing that you're connected to something bigger and you're made of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's changed my perspective on my living and my quote unquote struggles of, you know, perhaps you're here to share a message with more people and make their path easier. So um, that's definitely helped me all the way through just knowing that it's not my little bubble (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I'm trying to survive, which so many of us get stuck in, but what if there's a greater purpose to all of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that in in your early twenties, you began to uh, get some help from a more of a holistic perspective. Talk to me about that uh, doctor that began to help you. Oh, he was a game changer. He was a game changer. He, um, he was the first person in six years of therapy that took his eyes off the big pink elephant (laughs) of the diagnosis and actually saw me for me. Mm. And the care was actually quite different up until that point. It had been 15 minute checks with the doctor of, Hey, how you doing? Here's the next prescription. Um, and the psychotherapy, which is basically, you've got a problem, you got to keep digging till you fix it. He was like, we need to look at your schooling and your strengths and pick a career that works for you. We've got to build your self-esteem. He started yoga, yoga with me, meditation, diet, supplements. It was really the first person who looked at me in the entirety. And it was quite fascinating because as soon as he started to take my eyes off the problem, and actually put my eyes on developing myself, all of a sudden, all the medication that I was on started to be able to get weaned. You know, I started to feel more confident. So I didn't Mm. need the social anxiety medicine. 
my perspective on myself started to change. I didn't need the paranoia medicine anymore. He weaned me off of all but one medicine on a very, very minimal dose. And over the next 10 years working with different doctors, I was able to not only get off medicine, but they actually overturned my diagnosis. Really? Yes. (laughs) And that was 10 years. That was 10 years ago. I've been off meds and perfectly fine since then. I, I have never heard of such a thing of overturning a diagnosis yeah. such as that. Like, how did this? How did this come about? Like, how? What's the process? Is this well, unusual? This, this sounds unusual to me. It, it sounds very unusual, and at the same time, since I've written my book, I have heard from multiple, multiple people where they've had something similar. And whether it's something that evened out over time, whether it's something where I just manage it better now, I don't, I don't really have an answer for that. But there's been a lot of people who've been able to, in the throes of adolescence, get diagnosed with something and through maturity and using different techniques, they've been able to come out on the other end. Um, and, you know, I didn't do it on my own. It was basically starting with that holistic doctor at age 20 where medicines and the diagnosis was part of the package. But over the next 10 years, me doing yoga, meditation, diet, kind of developing myself more, the medicines just continued to get weaned until at age 30. I met with my doctor at the time and said, you know, I'm, I'm on such minimal medicines. Is it possible to try me off, you know, 15, 16 years after I was first diagnosed and just see how I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was willing to work with me. So she worked with me through the whole process. She followed me after. And, um, you know, one day I was like, well, do you think I actually have that diagnosis? She says, it's too hard to tell. But she says, I think you're more prone to severe anxiety and depression, but you manage yourself so well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of a fascinating thing. Again, these labels, if you buy them lock, stock, and barrel and you make them part of you, it never, ever changes. Even if you don't have your diagnosis overturned, mm-hmm. uh, just being able to get some more breathing room around it, you know? Let's be honest. All this social distancing, working from home, educating the kids, and listening to the news is more than overwhelming. It's corona-whelming. Imagine if that constant buzz of anxiety or the heaviness of worry was lifted. Imagine what it will feel like when you embrace your power to make creative, thoughtful decisions about your future. Not only is this possible, it's exactly what you can expect when you apply the principles you'll learn in this powerful new course. Check out Overcoming Corona Whelm at insporising.com slash overcoming. That's insporising.com slash overcoming and use the coupon code PEACE50 for $50 off. In our culture, even that term bipolar is re- has a pretty big stigma. Um, yes. <laughs> compared to, I mean, depressed, anxious, uh, uh, ADHD, you know, bipolar, whoa, like that's a big mm-hmm. one. Why, why is that? Why do you think that has such a stigma in our culture? And, and why, why is this so important for you to be talking about? Well, I think the stigma is a fascinating thing. And for me, stigma really comes when you start grouping people together. And for me, it's no different than looking at somebody's race or religion or social economic class. You kind of put a label on them and that's who they become. 
And I think bipolar is so fascinating because it's so stigmatized. So many people who have it, like I think three or 4 million people in the US alone, it's quite large, the number. Um, so many people manage themselves so well that nobody would know the difference. Mm -hmm. Nobody would know. The people where you do go, oh, they're bipolar, they're the ones who aren't managing themselves. And because of that, the rest of us kind of get grouped into their erratic behavior or mm -hmm. fight again, you know, all of this interesting things. It's like the, the bad apple of the bunch is the one that gets attention. People put the label with it. And before you know it, that's what you think it is. You don't look at the broader scope of everyone else who is dealing with it and living a happy, successful life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'll admit, Lauren, I have that stigma in my own, you know, mm -hmm. mind. I have um, engaged with a couple of people who, you know, as you said, were not uh, managing it well. We're not, you know, and, and, uh, there's some scary experiences that go along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have that stigma in me. And that's one of the things that I love about this podcast is I get to interact with people that I probably wouldn't normally interact with or have conversations about things. And, um, this podcast is all about me, Lauren, frankly, it's just my <laughs> own personal development tool. I get to take away <laughs> my prejudices and I get to meet amazing people like you. I don't know. I don't, I don't care about the <laughs> listeners. It's just about me. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but it is very powerful that I get to, you know, I, I love being the ignorant guinea pig that gets to ask the questions that other people want to ask. And mm -hmm. um, bipolar is, it's a tough topic. It's definitely yeah. a tough one. So as you um, have gone along, at, along in life, you are now a very successful speech and language pathologist um, working in major hospitals. You could be writing and talking about speech and language. Like, why are you <laughs> talking about bipolar? Like, come on, like, wh what's this all about? You know what I mean? Why is this so important to you? Yeah, I just, you know, I, I just remember that 14-year-old child sitting on the psychiatrist's sofa and having her entire world crumble around her. And the path that I have taken over the years of reclaiming myself and kind of discovering the hidden gifts that actually lie in a lot of these mental illness labels, which we can get to in a second. And uh, for me, the more I speak up about it, the less stigma that there is, the more people may have a foothold to see people with more empathy mm -hmm. and also to be able to kind of flip the perspective. And for me, kind of looking at my, my life, yes, I could be writing about speech and language and a whole host of other things that I do. Uh, but for me to help that tender, tender, tender topic with people. That's just something I feel really drawn to doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, um, my listeners know I had kind of my own mental breakdown uh, about 12 years ago, hit rock bottom um, from my own choices of workaholism and <clears throat> not taking care of myself. And I have a deep compassion for those who have mental challenges. Um, and one of the things that I always have to remind myself I tell this to my wife all the time, whenever she's a kindergarten teacher, so she's um, right there at the beginning of those kids, you know, experiencing, you know, oftentimes some self-regulation challenges and possibly some mental health issues. And I always tell myself, this person did not choose this. Mm -hmm. You didn't choose this. You know what I mean? So why, why would I hold a stigma against someone? Why would I, you know, have this idea in my head, like, oh, this person's scary, or this is a bad person, or this is, you know, whatever. They didn't choose this. You know, so many things that we deal with in life, 
we didn't choose. It's just part of our own chemical makeup. And um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I think there's a big fine line, especially with people who are a little bit closer to this. Like I talked to a lot of, um, I do coaching one-to-one, not just with people who've been through it themselves, but a lot of therapists who deal with, um, who deal with this in their practice kind of find me. And then a lot of family members actually who had either a parent or a sibling go through it. And it's an interesting conversation to look at where people's choice does come into play and where behavior patterns actually start to get mapped out around the so-called chemical issues. Uh, There are people who are quite manipulative and start to utilize it to their advantage. Some people Mm. just kind of get off the high of controlling Mm -hmm. the environment that way. Mm -hmm. So I think having having the victim or having the enemy perspective, both of them take you out of presence with what actually is. Yes. Um, not that anybody is ever wrong and not that you have to judge them, but you have to look with clear eyes of, okay, where does someone need help? And where do they need a little bit of a kick in the butt of, you're actually right now treating me in an improper way and you mm-hmm. do have the regulation to actually fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, I, I'm, I'm different with it. I have a lot of empathy for this population, obviously, but also because I've been through it myself and I've watched it, um, I do have a little bit of a stronger edge with it. And I, I advocate not just for the people going through it, but the people on the sidelines too, that sometimes mm-hmm. are victims to the behaviors that are right. coming, Right. you know? Yeah. 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 That is tough. Yeah. I see that. I see what you're saying. <laughs> hmm. Maybe I should say they didn't choose it in the beginning. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think having empathy and like, and also just being aware that look, a lot of people there, they have different makeups. Everybody's brain ticks differently. It doesn't even really have to do with chemicals at that point. We're all wired so uniquely Mm -hmm. and we all have different responses to stresses. We have different stress triggers. Uh, The more self-aware you can get for yourself and also the more awareness you can develop about the people you interact with and how they kind of bounce off the environment, mm-hmm. the more power you actually have to be able to go into the choosing role and not the victim role with it, mm-hmm. which is what I work so much with people on. You know, how can you find the space to actually choose, choose how you're going forward with this and not play mm-hmm. victim to all this, you mm-hmm. know? So as a parent who is listening, who, you know, their child is experiencing the ups and downs, there's so many ups and downs of being a parent. Oh my goodness. Um, With kids. And so how would, uh, how would a mom know when it's time to seek some outside support, no matter what it is, you know, it might not be a bipolar issue. It could just be anxiety, depression, you know, who knows what. Um, self-regulation, how would a mom know when to seek some outside support? Well, I would say before even that, are you actually having the daily conversation about emotions, what your children are aware of, how they're interacting with the world and giving them language and a safe space to actually use that language to express themselves? I I really feel like if we're able to have these like proactive and preventative Mm -hmm. mental health conversations, things won't balloon into the issues where you may need a lot of uh, that professional support. Right. Uh, So I would definitely start there and start when you're younger and they come home from school. How was your day? How are you feeling throughout the day? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how were you treated? How did, what did that bring up for you? How did you deal with it? Actually start giving them different languages to be able to express it. Then that way, when there is an issue in the future, they're going to be one feeling safe to come to you, which I think is 
huge, <laughs> huge for a parent. And mm-hmm. two, they're going to have enough language and know that they won't be judged if they do actually speak up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's a really, really important thing to start practicing right now with your kids. Mm-hmm. And as you move forward and have those conversations, your kids will let you know, look, I'm trying all this stuff. It's not working. Mm-hmm. I'm still struggling. And I, I was just working with somebody out in Tennessee. Her daughter is, I think, 12 right now. And they've been having these conversations for a long, long time about her anxiety. And finally, it just got to the point where the little one's like, I just need extra help here. And like, nothing's working. So that's when they went out and actually stepped outside of the house to get some medicine for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't a snap decision. It was something they've had conversations about. And they're very upfront and honest with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I think that's kind of the bigger thing is, are you having these preventative conversations now? You know? Right, right. One of the yeah. things, uh, my wife and I were uh, experiencing uh, therapeutic um, care all the way back through college. And that was something that our college offered. And we went through premarital counseling and so forth. And so um, therapy and language of therapy, language of emotions has been a part of our lives from, you know, that point in time. And so when our kids were born, it became a part of our conversations with them. And then at dinner, we would oftentimes do um, a high and a low. Now life is a little bit different with our kids 20 and 16. My daughter lives at college. My son is, you know, there's some busyness in our lives now. So it's those conversations are less structured around the dinner table highs and lows and more about, you know, on the sidelines, you know, how are things going and doing that on a daily basis. But one of the things that I would say is that my wife and I have been honest with our kids in our own Mm -hmm. challenges and not in an unfiltered way um, where it's like raw, you know, unfiltered because kids might not necessarily be able to handle that. But just to be able to talk about the ups and downs of your day and be honest about that in language that's um, not about blaming others, but about taking ownership of our own lives and our own behaviors and our own feelings. Um, I think that that modeling of that can be super powerful as well. Do you think? Yeah, it, it empowers them and people learn. I mean, just that's just kind of the fact. People learn better from example versus you telling them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and also just keep in mind, and that's kind of what I was getting to earlier about the gifts that lie within the mental illness is there are people who are very sensitive and very aware. Most of us are. We're more in tune with each other than we realize. And even though things look good on the surface, deep down underneath that, if things aren't, people are aware of that. And kids in particular, oh my goodness, they can, they can smell it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I've always ticked that way. I've always been very sensitive to other people, very, very connected. And a lot of my ups and downs I know were not really mine. They were just my awareness of everyone around me and all the ugh that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're not modeling the fact that you are aware and that stuff's going on, the kids are going to be able to be aware of it. They're aware of a mismatch mm-hmm. and that mismatch can really cause a lot of upheaval. Um, so even having the conversation about like, cool, these are the emotions that came up for you. Hey, what were you aware of? Were you aware of other kids being mean to some other kids? Maybe it didn't have to do with you. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of someone feeling a bit angry, but then they had a smile on their face? Uh, For me, that's been the big game changer is when I learned to call a spade a spade of, yes, this person looks like they're being nice to me, but underneath it, they don't like me and they don't have my best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. So all of these conversations, um, unfortunately, we're not really taught how to process and how to be aware. And when you actually start that in the home environment and hopefully broader scale schools and hospitals, that'd be wonderful. Uh, I think we're going to have a different conversation with people, you know? Mm-hmm. 
The book is called The Other Side of Bipolar, Revealing Your Strengths to Move Beyond the Diagnosis. Of course, we'll link to the Amazon opportunity to purchase in our show notes. You can swipe up on your phone and click that link. Now, you also, um, everybody can find your work at laurenpolly.com, which we will link to. You have um, two things that I want to point people to. One is your um, podcast. It's called the Lighten Up Podcast. And you also do one-on-one coaching with people. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about both of those things? Yeah, the Lighten Up Podcast with Lauren Polly. It's 14 minutes of inspiration a week. And I don't do interviews. It's just kind of me talking about different tools that I'm using in my own life and how it's leading to a lighter living. Um, For me, that really feels like, again, calling a spade a spade, having clarity with emotions, how your brain ticks and what's going on around you. So you actually step into the chooser role um, in terms of creating a life that you love. So there's a lot of great resources on that. And then the one-to-one coaching is a deep dive with me. That's, um, you know, you can sign up for a free consultation on my website for that if you're interested. And I work with a whole host of people. I work with people who are overtly struggling. A lot of times it's actually not that. It's people who just want to live a better, happier life and learn these kind of self-regulation techniques and this awareness technique to not only create for themselves, but also how to actually handle maybe families that they're raising or businesses that they're fostering, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. LaurenPolly.com. Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story. And um, my hope is that this will be a source of encouragement for for parents that are going through those ups and downs right now. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. You know, there's always hope and you're definitely not alone in any of this. And it can feel very isolating, but all you have to do is reach out and get some support. Be sure to check out Lauren's book entitled The Other Side of Bipolar. It's available on Amazon and Audible, as well as check out her podcast, The Lighten Up Podcast, where she gives you 14 minutes of awesomeness. You can check that out at the links in our show notes by swiping up on your phone now. All right, I love you guys so much. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.